hey, Jim, look around the room right now. Everyone is here because of you. The moment I heard those words, it changed everything for me. And yet it changed nothing because I truly am what I always felt I was. I'm the connector. That clarity is what brings me to you and what drives this show, the Remote Start Podcast. Here, I connect my lifelong passion for bringing people together with my love of business and branding in hopes that these talks might better connect your community with what your company is all about. So let's figure out your brand. Let's figure out the target audience you want to serve and how we can use these two things to create an incredibly strong community for your business. I'm your host, Jim Doyon. Let's get something started. Remote Start Nation. In this episode, we're going to be talking with one entrepreneur on how he has grown his consumer packaged goods brand from nothing to eight figures by doing more with less. I'm Jim Doyon, your host. And on today's episode, I'm honored to be talking with Will Nitza, founder and CEO of IQ Bar, who's on a mission to empower doers with superior brain and body nutrition. Will and I are going to be diving into fundraising, being operationally and capitally efficient, and doing more with less. We're also going to dig into successful approaches that have worked for Will and could work for you, the Remote Start Nation, as they relate to product development, product line strategy, go-to-market strategy, and e-commerce. Will, welcome to the Remote Start Nation. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm excited to have you. You know, introduce yourself to Remote Start Nation. Tell us a little bit more about you and, and IQ Bar. Sure. Yeah, my name is Will Netza. I live in Boston, Mass. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO at IQ Bar, where I started the company in my apartment in Boston in 20... Well, really what then kicked things off was a Kickstarter that I, I did in January of 2018. Uh, but we fulfilled our first order in mid 2018. So uh, four and a half years old, or at least in the marketplace. And let's see. I mean, what do we what do we sell? We sell. Uh, we're a brain and body nutrition company. So our our flagship line is plant protein bars, IQ bars, and then we just rolled out IQ Mix, which is a hydrate zero sugar hydration mix. And we're rolling out IQ Joe, which will be a, an instant coffee brand. Uh, in a couple of months. So we're basically, we're building a platform of, uh, of products that'll hit throughout multiple occasions of any given consumer's day. It's awesome. What gave you the idea to start IQ bar? It was a bunch of things. It was a confluence of a bunch of things. So I got really into nutrition. Uh, this was in like 2016. And I, I mostly because I felt terrible every day and I had a terrible diet. And so just by necessity, I was like, I, I got to fix this somehow. And uh, concurrently, though, paleo was getting really big and clean foods and whole food movement, and whole 30. And people are just getting more health conscious, generally speaking. And so I got really into paleo. And then after that, I got really into keto. Um, so that was one thing. I was super into nutrition uh, just for personal reasons. And then. I always wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to own tip to tail the everything like the creation of the thing, whether it be a product or a tech or, you know, tech widget or whatever, um, all the way down to mar being able to market it, sell it, et cetera. And I'm not a programmer, not an engineer. So 
um, wasn't going to do, didn't want to be a non-technical founder of a technical company. And so that leaves like services and products. And yeah, I, I wanted to do products because I like tangible products. I've always loved consumer goods. Um, and then I read a couple of books. There's one called um, Mission in a Bottle by the guys who started Honest Tea. You're familiar with that brand. And that got me really fired up about food and beverage. And then I read another book called Grain Brain by a guy named David Perlmutter. And that got me fired up about this concept of brain nutrition and brain food. And what we eat impacts what happens to our brain in the short and long term. So anyway, all of those things kind of like collided. And I was like, I'm going to start a brain food company. And so, yeah. And then just iterating and iterating and iterating to, to get to a starting point. And what was the, did you know, right from the start, like as you developed this brand, did you know you want to launch it on Kickstarter or was that just like you kind of looked at all the different options and decided that was the best, the best for you? I wasn't really sure how to start. You know, there's a bunch of ways you can start. You can like start selling to your neighbors and then start selling to the local corner store and just sort of like grow your concentric circle of places you sell to. And yeah, after a couple of years, you're big. Uh, I wasn't really interested in that. I was like, I want to test this big and either I fail big or I succeed big. And one of the, you know, at the same time I had no money. So yeah. Kickstarter is kind of a way to like do that. If you have, even if you have no money, um, it's a great way to prove a concept at, at scale is another way of putting that. And so, yeah, so did a Kickstarter on a shoestring budget, uh, filmed the, video in my old office. I asked my old boss if I could come in on a Saturday and film it and my friends acted in it. And then, you know, we just did a bunch of uh, hacks, quote unquote, um, gray area hacks to make it succeed. Like I was like blasting out emails to uh, my undergraduate alumni listservs. And um, I did a bunch of crazy stuff to make it work. But anyway, the um, it were, it was great. Um, you know, we use that as a, I think there's a common misconception that, you know, do a Kickstarter. Now you have the money to really start the business. And maybe that's the case if you're in a super high margin product, but you know, for someone like us, you make enough mistakes and your margins low enough at the outset that really the point of Kickstarter is to prove the concept. And then, and get sales. And then you can go take that to potential investors and raise money at a decent, decently good valuation because you have this thing. You're like, hey, I just sold to 2,000 people. I already have $90,000 in sales. Yeah. You know, here's, here's why we're worth X. And so I think it's mostly effective for, for that versus just showing up to an investor with a PowerPoint deck and, you know, they have nothing to go off of because uh, you haven't so much that's that's a a great way to start especially like you said without a lot of capital and and to, to proof of concept um so you started there you got going did you right away go and try to get funding or did you fulfill orders with the money that you made and then kind of continue to grow from there we fulfilled orders with the, the money we made. Um, and then like right after we, we, so I had had just to get off the ground, I, I put some savings I had in into it, not, not a ton of money. 
And then I had raised like 30 grand from a couple of angel investors I got randomly connected into. And that just helped me like, you know, upfront legal fees, getting websites set up, um, buying, you know, 10 grand worth of ads and things like that for Kickstarter. Like there's a whole series of things that um, I needed money for. And so I raised like that tiny amount. And then I went back to those same people right after the Kickstarter crushed it. I was like, hey, like, you know how I said I was going to do that thing? Well, we did it and it worked. And then they wrote much bigger checks. Um, That was a lot. I wasn't even necessarily like gaming it out like that. Like it just worked out like that. And then in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, that's, that was actually pretty a good way to do it. Get them in the door with a small check. You know, 10 K for these, these particular people is nothing. Pocket change. And prove it. And then now you go back to those same people. Um, so yeah, that, that worked really well. And we raised, I think it was something like 600 K. Wow. Uh, and then that gave us the money to like play some big minimum order quantity production runs, hire a couple of people, get off the races. So from there, like, you know, this episode's about doing, doing more with less. And so you started to get fundraising right away. You were successful on Kickstarter. You went back to the initial uh, investors, got more money. How did where did it go from there as far as fundraising and and you know doing more with with the little that you had? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, so many brands because we wanted to grow really fast. Like we wanted to. Our goal was to be a multi million dollar company in revenue in our first calendar year, twenty nineteen. Very very hard to do. Um, and very hard to do with not a ton of cash and 600 K may seem like a lot. It's, it's really not in consumer goods. And so we had to stretch that really far. Uh, and by the way, you're making mistakes that cost a lot of money. And, um, so uh, from the get go, I just knew we would have to have a really, really lean team. And so it was me, only me for a while. And then like mid 2018, I hired one person and then it was a two person show for a while. Um, and then it was a three person show for a while. Um, I mean, fast forward to 2023, we're only, a, we only have six office employees and we're grown like immeasurably since then. Um, so that's always been the whole do more with us thing is like, I think start with SGNA, sales general and administrative, basically salaries. Yeah. Um, have a small team and outsource where you can. Um, I think a lot of people will, you know, just hire, get to like 10. I mean, good rule of thumb. I'm not, I'm not the one who came up with this or anything, but it's, it's kind of a common one in startups is, you know, don't raise someone unless that incremental hire can generate an, an incremental million in revenue. If they can't, don't hire that person. You're not ready to hire that person. For yeah. us, it's actually closer to 2 million. Like we don't want to hire a new person unless we can generate an incremental 2 million in revenue. So anyway, that that's just kind of a rule of thumb, but even with that, it's an expensive game we're playing. Um, You know, we're in ultra competitive categories. We started online. We're now omni-channel. We're in in about 8,000 locations, but online is still the majority of our business and online is expensive. Yeah. Um, 
you know, in, in many ways it's pay to play. And so you got to be really careful about your ad spend as a, as a proportion of revenue. And um, so it's, it's a tough, CPG is a really tough space to be capitally efficient. Um, but I think we've been, done, a, done a pretty decent job at it. I love the fact that with, you know, six staff, you've been able to grow to where you have, where you, when you go to hire someone new and you look at, all right, this person needs to generate or have the effect of $2 million to that one person. Are you bringing in people for more sales operation roles or is the, do you have things going with, you know, e-commerce and these other channels where it's more about supporting the growth that that's already growing? I think it's just like where, what's bottlenecking our growth could be anything. So up front, it was like, I need to divide sales and marketing and operations and supply chain. That's like step one, because I was doing all of it. So you do that, you're like, and it's like, cool, okay. Um, now within sales and marketing, I need to have someone who's just focused on the website and Amazon, and then like managing even a third party Amazon uh, agency. And then I need someone else who's focused on like creative, like what's our brand look, and we need to create ad assets and yada, yada, yada. It's another person. And then I need like a head of sales. Like I need someone who's like knocking on doors and trying to get us in yeah. more locations. Well, that's another person. And then, you know, so you're just sort of like, how do I cover all my bases with one person who like owns that thing? And then some people will go hire 10 sales people, right? There's like a West Coast rep and then the Midwest rep and the Southeast yeah. rep, yada, yada. Um, for us, it's like we have one salesperson. That's it. The whole country. And we just focus on like the 80-20 analysis, like what's 20% that will drive 80% of your revenue? Focus on those. Um, versus, you know, we want someone going up and down the street, knocking on every door, getting into every bodega. Like that's not, it's not our model. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really just looking towards like, what is hindering growth? Like, do we have a gap in our team? That because of that gap, we're leaving again two million or more on the table. If so, go hire someone for that. And it's not always hire someone, it could be go find a third party for that. Like yeah. we actually start with can we hire a third party? Um, because you can hire and fire third parties easily. Um right. not that you want to, right? You want to like <laughs> it's painful and annoying and expensive and all that, but like. It's just, you can find them, they're already up the curve and you can fire them easily or, you know, and that's just like the terms you have to think of in my experience with, with, with startups. And so we start there and it's like, eh, actually you really got to in, in-house this, but then you go, go hire for that. And at what point do you know in your business, like, okay, I'm ready to go raise more capital. I need to, we've hit in a point where I need to go back to investors and look to, to raise more. When you run out of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can crunch some basic numbers, right? What's your burn rate? How much are you losing every month? Uh, what, what, you know, um, demand, like, yeah, of course you have to, track inventory very closely in this, in this game. Um, Cause what's in your bank account isn't necessarily how many assets you have on hand. You, um, 
but cash flow management is just so, so, so important. Um, but yeah, know how much dollars you burn each month and how, how much run, runway does that give you and give yourself X amount of months to raise money. Um, I would think you, you want to give yourself six months, um, maybe more in, in this environment. Um, but like we just closed on a fundraising round. I think we started having conversations in May and we closed on December 28th. Wow. <laughs> so we thought we would close in end of August. We closed December 28th. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a grind to, to raise capital today. Well, congrats on the on the raise there. That's that's exciting. It took a while, but that's exciting. Yeah. So let's get Thank into you. strategy a little bit on, you know, let's look at your product and and look at product development and you know the strategy behind the different product lines. You said you're launching a new line. Um, you've got multiple lines now where you started with just the uh the bar and uh you know now you're expanding. Let's talk a little bit more about development and, and strategy there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting topic. It's super challenging, uh, skew uh, strategy, uh, product line strategy. Like there's generally speaking two paths you can go. If you're a company like this, you can go with one form factor. So let's say the RX bar model, like you're a bar company and new SKUs will be like a peanut butter chocolate and a lemon blueberry, whatever. But that's how you're expanding. And then you're taking those and you're going narrow and deep. Like you're taking those SKUs and you're going into Kroger and Costco, BJ's, blah, blah, blah. You're trying to blanket the U.S. with that SKU. The second path is build more of a platform, so which is what we're doing. Uh, and most people do A, by the way. We're doing B, which is okay. we're a brain and body nutrition company. And, and that sort of value proposition works. And I would argue even demands that you play in a couple categories. So like what is relevant to brain and body nutrition throughout the day, you know, hydration. So we expanded from bars into zero sugar hydration mix is called IQ mix. Uh, super relevant to like, especially if you're working out, depleting electrolytes, um, but also, you know, in our product, we include the special form of magnesium that's good for your brain. And so just very on brand and relevant. And then we're moving into coffee, instant coffee with IQ Joe, which is um, magnesium and lion's mane in coffee. So it's like an enhanced, the coffee plus, um, of course, super relevant to the brain. First thing most people drink when they wake up, turns their brain on. Um, so yeah, we're, we're covering sa uh, satiation, aka snacking, caffeination, aka coffee, and hydration, aka um, electrolyte mixes. Yeah. So that's a risky move, right? Um, you have to learn new form factors. It's a new manufacturer. Uh, it's a new market. It's a new consumer. Um, different price points, different margin profiles, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's, it's a different game. So you, you create a lot of headaches for yourself, but also the headaches are also the opportunities. Now you open yourself up to some people don't eat bars, but they do drink hydration mixes. Some people don't drink coffee, but they do eat bars. You know, so it's you expand your addressable market and you can upsell the same person. So some people they eat bars and they drink coffee. Cool. Like you want to add a IQ Joe to your IQ bar order? Great. You know, so you have cool upselling opportunities there. 
So when you're D to C, I see how that works. How does that work when you're in some of these big stores and you're, you're, you have a product that's doing great. You've got the IQ bars in there and you're like, Hey, we're coming out with a new coffee product. We want you to stock. Is that, are they quick to look at that because your product has done so well, or are they hesitant? Because again, you're, instead of going, you know, in that straight and narrow, you're kind of going up broad. For us, um, we, so there's, again, there's a million ways you can slice this. We have a small team. And so we decided we're going to go into these other categories, but the incremental categories, hydration and coffee, we're only going to do online. Okay. Uh, for now. We'll, we'll, and whereas bars were omni-channel, we're in 8,000 doors, but also we're on Amazon. Also we're on our website and all that. Um, for the mix and the Joe, only online. And that just saves us a lot of, saves a lot of bandwidth. Um, you know, it's a totally different category. If you're, let's say you're Costco, right? It's a totally different buyer for hydration than, than there is for bars, than there is for coffee. And so, you know, it's just, it just adds a ton to, to then be like, okay. And by the way, the packaging is totally different. So what is, op we optimize packaging for e-commerce, but then we also want to sell in, in brick and mortar mm. stores, totally different package. Right. Um, so you, now you complicate operations quite a bit. Um, so we'll get there. Like we'll get to a place where we want to be omni-channel for all of our product lines. But I think V1 of that progression is, you know, bars are the flagship product line. Um, again, the company's called IQ Bar. But um, uh, but IQ Mix and IQ Joe, you know, I think we can build multi-million dollar plays in, in those areas just online to start. And if you started to already, like, how do you, when you have a product that's doing well, like IQ bar on, let's just say with e-commerce, how are you introducing these other products to the consumer? Uh, I mean, upsell, like, you know, we can upsell, let's say someone puts bars in their shopping cart. We'll try and upsell them to, to mixes, um, you know, add a mix for $9.99. It's really helpful to have low price point trial packs. So, you know, you can try for no incremental cost other than the product, like free shipping. And at a really low price point, you can get eight servings for $9.99. That's a pretty low risk way to, to try something. Um, you know, we do some, on an ad hoc basis, we'll do some mass sampling initiatives like we're partnering with one brand that sends out uh, 30,000 subscription boxes. And we're going to put two of our hydration packs in each of them. It's a brand partnership we're doing. Awesome. So like mass sampling can be, can be effective there. Um, yeah. I mean, but you don't even need, they also stand alone, right? So again, some, sometimes people just are typing in zero, zero sugar hydration into Amazon. Cool. They don't necessarily need to know that we sell bars as well. Right. Like maybe they're just looking for hydration and that's fine. Um, so you don't necessarily need a synergy between the two, but on all our packaging, um, you know, we'll make it clear that we, Hey, by the way, we also sell this, this, and this. Oh, cool. You know, let me check that out. Um, so sometimes it's not an upsell. Sometimes it lives in silos. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. If there's one thing on on product development, whether it's a 
you know, someone coming out with a new product that's for, for the end consumer, if there's one, one piece of advice that you can give on product development or, or strategy, maybe even to add to what they already have, what would that be? Oh man, there's so many things. I mean, number one, make sure your costs make sense. Like you can make the best product ever. If your gross margin is not, you don't have a path to 50 plus percent gross margin, it's going to be really tough out there. So that's one and arguably the most important one. Let's say you can get, you have a path to that. Um, I'd say number two is don't fight consumer behavior. There are, of course, exceptions to this. But people like what they like. So don't over-innovate. Like take something, like if you look at the products that do the best, they look at what's working on a mass scale, but is bad for like one one reason. Maybe it's like too high in sugar or it's too high. In, like use like, uh, actually, no, that's a bad example. Use like Kala Power. Um, so frozen pizza in the grocery store. People buy that like hotcakes, right? But yeah. it's not healthy. So this company called Kala Power comes around and they say, well, we blended it. It's not just like wheat dough and it's not super high carb. Like actually now like 50% of the crust is made with cauliflower, flour, whatever it is. Um, So it's like a little healthier. They like tweak 10% of it, but it's still like a good pizza. It tastes like a pizza, yada, yada. Those products crush. So formulation wise, I wouldn't try and... I think it's dangerous to like totally upend, you know, something um, because people like what they like and changing consumer behaviors can be done, but it's insanely expensive. So don't do it unless you have $30 million lying around to like, in like 10 years to like really shift. Um, Now there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, that's what I would say. So like for us with bars, Sell a chocolate sea salt, sell a peanut butter chocolate chip. Like sell people what they want. In our category, people want chocolate, they want peanut butter. You can come out with a goji berry pina colada and like 10 people in whatever, you know, want that. But you're not going to be able to sell that at Kroger. Like, so meet people where they are, I guess is a more succinct way of saying that. And then find a good, two more things I would say. A, uh, become an expert in the food science piece, not like a true expert, but like get proficient, understand how your thing you're creating. And this is just for food and bev. If it's electronics, like get, get up the curve on that. If it's whatever, like become a expert in it. And if you can make and if you can make the product yourself at the highest level, do it yourself. But at the very least, if you can't find a really, really good partner and be like be on their ass about it, like be a be giving feedback intensely and regularly. Don't be passive. Like the worst thing you can do is be like, hey, I want a better for you muffin or whatever. Like, can you just go do this? Like I, you're you're a food scientist or, you know, you did this for Betty Crocker or whatever, and then just trust that that'll work. Terrible idea. Um, You actually have to get like pretty proficient. You're like, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Well, we could do this and maybe, but that would cost too much. And 
because you're, by the way, in the background tabulating, like how much is this going to cost? And that person's just thinking like, you know, how do I make a good tasting muffin? So it's, it's like, there has to be a dance between those two things, or you just do all of it. And then now it's all in your head that the cost of all of it, the food science of all of it, is this going to last a year on a shelf, like all that. So one of the two, <clears throat> two has to happen. Um, but don't be the person who's like, Hey, I have this concept. Let me go find some expert over there and like, go just do this thing. Maybe one in a thousand times that works out and the other 999 don't. That's, that's good advice. Thank you for all of those. So let's talk, we talked a little bit about like the different products. So now we have our product, we've developed another product. What are, what have you seen? We talked a little bit about how you are launching your new brands on e-commerce and not going to the, the retail stores with them yet. What are you doing for market strategy when you're launching a new product? What is it that you've seen has done the best as far as, you know, advice you can give the remote star nation? Jess, who uh, runs our online business, would answer this better than I would. But I mean, the, there are things everyone does that are good, right? Like build an email list, like have email flows, get people excited about the launch. Um, you know, even before you do that, ask people, hey, what do you want? Like, do you want a banana, banana bread skew or do you want a white chocolate peppermint skew? Like, that's always good to do up front. And then like a bunch of, you know, the community is thrown around and it's kind of overplayed, I would say, but like to the extent you can, um, like, for example, I have a post-purchase survey and like, if we were to have another flavor, what would you want? Like is, is not a bad play, but yeah, I yeah. mean like the standard stuff around get the people who already buy your stuff excited about it. Um, you know, I, this is also table stakes. Make it coherent with everything else you sell. Like you don't want to sell something that there's no way that if you have a keto protein bar, your your hydration and then your hydration mix has 10 grams of sugar. Like that's not going to be coherent. So like make it super coherent with what people who buy from you are already buying. Yeah, uh, that's more of a, just like a product strategy one. Um, you know, get your ads, get ads set up, start, start advertising around it. Um, if you can get PR, that's cool. We've never been successful with like getting PR to pick up new product launches. Um, you know, use social media. Like one of the things we're trying to delve deeper into is organic social media content. Um, we were talking about this up front. Like I do that personally, but yeah. Things like TikTok and like short form video, I think is like a cool new frontier for us that we can, we can drive more eyeballs to, to things like a product launch on. And would it be sending product out to influencers and yeah, seeding influencers? And, totally. Yeah. Seeding influencers is helpful. We're doing a big like podcast ad um, rollout for the first, well, we did it before a couple of years ago, but much on a much bigger scale. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Something I, I saw that I think could relate to your product as well as, you know, other 
just I'll, I'll bring it more generic, but I belong to Strava is an app that records your mountain bike rides and snowboarding and all of this stuff. And, you know, yeah. they have contests where brands will come in and sponsor. And so for a brand to know exactly who their demographic is, right? Like understand who your, who your avatar is, understand the community that they're hanging out in. And then as you said earlier, like you have to know your cost, you have to know your profit, otherwise you can't do this. But, you know, they, I was, I belong to, uh, in, um, they did like, was it a, a contest that was geared around how many miles you do or whatever it was. And if you hit a certain amount of miles in this month, they would send you a free, you know, sample of their product. And mm. like, I thought that was such a smart strategy for go to market because they knew exactly who their target market was. It was me riding my bike, needing to, you know, hydrate and, you know, I was using product already. So when I got that sample and was able to taste it and it tasted good and did everything else. And I was so excited that they gave this to me for free because mm -hmm. I was part of this, this community and this event, this contest that went on, I was like, dang, I'm going to keep buying this from them. So I think doing things like that as well are a great mix to market strategy that if, if you get those first things, things done, like understand your community, where they are, not just who your demographic is, but you know where they're at, whether that's a, a different app or partner, like you had suggested as well. Like looking at those things, I think could could add a lot. So remote start nation, think of that. You know, as long as what Will's talked about as well. You know, thinking really think first of where your community is, where they're hanging out, who you can partner with, and then what you can give to them to to try and and get them into your product without having to try to sell it to them. Yeah, that, that's actually a better answer than I gave. Um, that's something, and it's because maybe it's in the back of my mind, but yeah, like ask the, that question, where are my consumers spending time? Like in real life, online, like et cetera, et cetera. If your consumer is a, and maybe it's not online, like maybe it's a Midwestern mom who shops at Target who, or maybe she goes online, but she only goes on Facebook or something like um, that's a useful starting point. Um, and then, yeah, like the Strava thing is, is another channel, like partnerships. Um, it was kind of like what I was saying, like with that other brand, they're a brand that sells to a very similar consumer to us, but we have different products. Yeah. So it's like non-competitive, but like it's targeted. We know that person who buys that type of product is also the kind of person who would buy our type of product. Right. And so it's highly targeted. And so, you know, every sample will have like 10 X the hit rate, you know, if, then if we just send it to random people. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of partnerships and really understanding who your, who your demographic is. And I, I think one of the most important things, and I don't hit on it enough in the show, but you brought it up and it kind of fits with what we're talking about, but you know, before you can do a lot of this strategy, this go-to-market strategy, you really have to know your cost. And if you don't know your cost, like you have a big chance of, you know, going big and doing well and then burying yourself because you don't have the funds to be able to support the campaign you just threw out there. Yeah. I mean, that's like maybe the most single most important thing. Like gross margin is you live and die by gross margin especially now. I mean, there used to be a model where you could raise a ton of money and lose a ton of money and just still grow and then sell 
the brand. Those days are kind of over for the most part. Uh, you, you need to be a financially sound startup to be acquirable, let alone yeah. be in existence. You know, <laughs> uh, not many people will, are willing to artificially keep you on life support, life support for too long. Um, so yeah, I, cost management, both on like the labor side, you know, that again, I started with low SGNA. That's a form of cost management, but then when you're very, that's fixed more or less. And then on your variable cost, like cost of goods, what's your tolling rate, which is the labor that goes into creating one unit. Um, are you managing that the best? Do you have the best manufacturing partners? Um, fulfillment is a massive, massive one. Like so many people get killed on fulfillment. Um, so we've really had to like twist the dials on that. Both parcel fulfillment, like putting it in a box, shipping it to someone's doorstep, as well yeah. as what's called LTL and FTL fulfillment, less than a truckload, full truckload fulfillment or freight. Um, we're twisting the dials further on that. Like how, how do we optimize that? And because at the end of the year, you look at your P&L statement, logistics and fulfillment is just massive like yeah 15 to 20 percent of your total expenses yeah expenses on logistics are insane we ship t-shirts and promotional products all country and it's like every year we look at it what can we do to cut cut costs in that area it's a big one yep so well uh will our time's coming to an end here but before we go i have one more question um, but I, I also want to really make sure the Remote Star Nation knows where to find you. Uh, can you let them know the best place to find not only your product, but yourself if they want to reach out? Yeah, we're at eatiqbar.com, E-A-T-I-Q-B-A-R.com. And our bars and our hydration mixes are there. Uh, we're on Amazon and walmart.com. Uh, on our website, there's a store locator. So if you put in your address, you should be able to find us. I personally am pretty active on LinkedIn. You can you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, what else? Yeah, I, th I think those are the big ones. And with that said, Remote Star Nation, that's how I found Will and reached out because I was following him on LinkedIn and he does an incredible job. You want to know about business and, and you know, even more behind the scenes stuff as we talked to today, follow Will on uh, LinkedIn. You won't be disappointed. Uh, Will, one last question for you. What's the biggest takeaway you can give to the remote star nation? Maybe that we didn't hit on today, but you want to make sure that they think about as they're growing their brand and trying to get to that next level. It's maybe an unconventional answer. I would say it's a, this, I'm not the first person to say this, but it's an unglamorous lifestyle. And I think be really, Think long and hard about whether you can withstand the lifestyle, whether you want the lifestyle, um, what sacrifices you're willing to make to do the lifestyle, um, financial and otherwise. And then like, do you want to do this thing for five to 10 years? Because that's what you're signing up for. So will this thing fire, will there be a fire in your belly to make this work? For five to 10 years, that's a long time, but that's how long it takes to build a brand. And in year two, three, you don't want to be losing steam. So, you know, do you genuinely, and, and another thing too is like, what you're going to be doing is not 
like I wrote a post about this one. Uh, you know, let's say you're really into yoga. And so you start a yoga pants business. And, and you're thinking is, well, I love yoga. Like, I'll just like, and it's yoga pants. Like, this is my passion. And then you find out that 99% of the time, nothing you do is relating to yoga pants. It's like getting on the phone because the factory like stitched the yoga pants backwards. And then it's, you know, uh, figuring out how to make payroll and it's, it's business. It's not so much, it's way, way more business than it is yoga, even though you're selling yoga pants. So make sure you love business specifically and that type, that flavor of business um, and you're willing to do it for five to 10 years. Otherwise it's going to be not fun. <laughs> That's such a good piece of advice. I always, anytime someone comes to me and asks about starting a business, my first thing is you really need to understand your why and what you're passionate about. Because through, as you know, there's so many things that are difficult and to go back and say, okay, this is why I'm doing this. And it can't just be like you said, something that, oh, I love yoga. I'm going to start a yoga brand. It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And like, also, what do you want to do with your life? Like, if you're like, yeah, I want to have a kid in, in a year. Well, maybe don't. I mean, maybe do, maybe don't. I, that's all That's all you, but it's like factor that in big time. Yeah. Um, factor everything in. Awesome. Well, Remote Start Nation, thank you for joining Will and I on this journey as we help you to start a business, grow your brand, and connect with your community. Remember, leave a comment, subscribe, and share this episode with your community who you think would learn from what you heard today. Until next time, go start something, start today, go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. Well, we've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for allowing me to share my passion of bringing people together through business and branding in hopes to connect you with your community. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Woodward Movement the leader in brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. Check out our remotestartpodcast.com for more episodes and our social channels to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you build a strong community for your business. I'm Jim Doyon. Thank you for connecting.